0: All right, Kicked Back listeners, we have Adrian today on our show presented by Betway. And Adrian, for everyone watching, you have a pretty stealthy uh, setup behind you. You look way cooler than me right now. I feel like my just little flimsy jersey in the background needs a little bit of an upgrade. So hello, I mean, and you've got way more swag than than me. So what's going on? <laughs>
1: hey, I mean, I don't have any framed jerseys on the wall. So that, that's, that says something for you. But yes, I... Uh, I have a nice minimalist setup here. You know, I have my plant. It's just me, my plant and a neon sign, but it's uh, (laughs) a little can go a long way. Sometimes
0: I always say less is more. It's it's like my favorite motto. It's to live by. It's true Uh, for everyone listening and watching. Adrian has a mega YouTube channel. So Adrian, talk to us about your YouTube channel, how many subscribers you have and just like the success you found yourself in talking about football.
1: So yeah, I started the channel about in twenty, uh, early 2017, we'll call it. It was end of 2016, early 2017. Um, and I only started doing it sort of full time in about 2019. And since then, I've been able to amass ar- around somewhere around 250,000 subscribers, which is... A far bigger number than I ever expected to get to, uh, but I'm very blessed that I did, which is awesome because now I get to do this for a living. And I basically I was working at another YouTube channel um, okay. previously called Watch Mojo, which is sort of where I learned little bits of editing um, and a little bit of sort of YouTube production and best practices, etc. But I was covering a lot of like comic book stuff. Movie stuff, that kind of thing, Carolina. It just wasn't really what I was into. So on the side, I started Rabona TV. And that just eventually sort of grew and grew and grew to the point where I'm at now where I get to be very busy covering this sport. But it's, of course, incredibly rewarding as well.
0: Of course, right? That's the best part. It's like, you know, the cliche saying when you love what you do, it's not technically considered work, but I just find it extremely impressive. And before we head into all of the football that you were able to build this channel to be such a large channel in a short amount of time. So maybe for all of the younger listeners listening who have this aspiration to get into the digital world, because the reality of this day and age is that you don't have to be on TV. You don't have to be on these big networks. You can hop into YouTube, You can hop onto TikTok and be a voice for the community that you're building. So what piece of advice would you have for someone who wants to be in your position and speak to the things that they love?
1: I think that for the... I mean, the number one thing for me is that it has to come from a place of passion. Um, if you're getting into it for sort of the wrong reasons, whether that be, you know, it's, there's, you're sort of got to toe the line between I'm doing this to get a great amount of fame or money, but also you have to sort of strive for that because that can only happen if you have a good product. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to come from a place of passion first and foremost. And then it's just. Finding a niche, honestly, was for me. I think what grew my channel the most because it's easy to sort of think it like you know, no one else has an interest in what I want to talk about. No one else has an interest in my way of delivering things or what have you. But you either have to do everything better than everyone that's already established, which is very difficult, Mm -hmm. or you have to find a niche and do it your own way. And as so long as you stay sort of loyal to that, and it comes from that place of passion, people are pretty you know, intuitive. They can. Can see through you and they can also see when someone's speaking about something they enjoy. And I think that that goes a really, really long way as far as building an audience because they get that sort of proximity to you because they feel like they get to know you a little bit better. So I'd say that it has to come from a place of passion. Don't be afraid to sort of go down whatever niche you may have because I can promise you there's going to be a community of people out there that will also be interested in it.
0: I absolutely love that. For everyone listening, what is kind of maybe a little window or glimpse into what your niche is before they go and subscribe to your channel? Because everyone listening will do that after this episode. I'm telling you, you guys have to. So, what's the what's the window look like? What's the picture? So it's basically I would call it
1: like football or soccer explainer videos for the most okay. part. Um, I like to mix a little bit of timely content, so I will sort of keep track of what's happening in the Champions League or what happened this past weekend through my recap videos. But for the most part, I would say whether it's explaining a certain concept, like there was sort of that refereeing scandal that Barcelona had recently, talks of them paying referees and between 2016 and 2018, that's being investigated. I'll do a video on that or what's going on with Man City or anything that's happening in the football world that needs explaining and needs to be broken down and given special context to. On top of that, I like to do longer form stuff like, you know, I have a series called Roots of the Rivalry where I get really deep into... What divides two teams? What caused an initial split between, let's say, AC Milan and Inter Milan or what have you? All the biggest derbies around the world and just little profiles and stuff like that along the way
0: a lot of work goes into what you do and i can absolutely appreciate that and i think oftentimes when you're a consumer of any type of news that you're getting you just see the end product and everyone sees adrian with these takes and this knowledge and you know they see a really like unbelievably put together video but you on your end you have to stay up to date with the news. You have to put the news together. You're essentially producing your own show. You get in front of a mic, you have to deliver it, which I'm sure there's a lot of takes that go along with that too. Uh, not, and that's for everyone, like, you know, worldwide that there's just a process. Does that ever weigh on you? Or have you now found this like really nice rhythm and routine um, to build your channel?
1: I think both things can be true, to be honest. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, I have found a good routine. Um, I have found a very good workflow, what works for me. But even so, I, you know, I was saying to my wife not long ago, like, this has become not just Adrian making videos anymore. It's become a yep. lot more than that. It's, you know, reaching out to other people. It's having yes. other people reach out to me, doing appearances like this, having business meetings. So it's, mm-hmm. it definitely weighs on you a lot. Um, but ultimately, is it, Better than you know, going and working a job that maybe I don't necessarily care about, or I'm not pursuing my own passion or something like that. I mean, it's still a lot better <laughs> every day to sort of be my own boss. And uh, despite the massive workload, it feels worth it in the end, for sure.
0: I love that because there will always be in whatever you decide to do in life, a bit of a grind and you got to bet on yourself. Uh, and and I love that because at the end of the day, you're working for Adrian, you're, ro- you're working for your company, Robona TV, your channel, and work's going to go into that. But look where it's gotten you in such a short period of time. Last question before we move on to everything Benfica. Uh, was there a moment in your journey, Adrian, so far where you're like, this is too tough. My, you know, my channel should be growing more and it's not where I want it to be. Did you have maybe like a little bit of a, a window of adversity that you found yourself getting past?
1: Yeah, there's been a few of those. and I mean, th- the number one, when or big, big, big piece of adversity, which it was for everyone was uh, when the pandemic first hit and everything mm-hmm. shut down. And there was so much uncertainty as to like, well, first of all, will sport ever be the same again? Will this change how I have to cover it? And I wasn't really covering anything on my channel. And there's always that belief where if you go inactive for a while, the algorithm, you'll fall out of it, blah, blah, blah. It might be a tinfoil hat conspiracy, maybe. (laughs) But there was that fear of will my channel ever bounce back and that kind of thing. So there was that. And then there's also, you know, in this vertical, and maybe it's just... Uh, my own thing, but I've sort of accepted that I'm not going to have insane growth like you see. You know, it's easy for the older generation to see like a Mr. Beast and be like, well, why isn't your channel growing like that or something like that, you know? Um, so I just sort of accepted that there's going to be up and then a plateau and then up and then plateau and up and plateau. And it's just ensuring that you're creating a good enough product that you still have that basic viewership where if the subscribers aren't flying up, you're still getting a decent amount of views and you're at least building your community in that way instead.
0: Love it. Well, we wish you all the best in continued success. And I'm a big fan of your content. And I love the explainer videos because I think sometimes um, finding someone who can break things down for you and give you the news that you want to know Uh, in a a nice condensed version, instead of me having to go into an article and find everything that I want to look for. It's just nice to listen to. Uh, So I appreciate everything you're doing. And like I said, everyone listening to this episode, go subscribe and find Adrian everywhere on his social medias. So right now, this episode is going to be dedicated to Benfica and Benfica fans and Portuguese football fans. Uh, I'm going to assume you're Portuguese, Adrian.
1: Yes. Yes. My parents okay. are from Portugal, but I was born in Canada, of course.
0: V- very nice. So we're very similar. My parents were born in Poland and I'm the first person here in Canada. So I can understand you probably grew up in a household where football slash soccer was on TV all the time, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, le- in Canada, it was sort of a weird one where it was like, you watched either Soccer Saturday on, on Sportsnet or whatever it was on the weekend. And then throughout the week, maybe I found a lot of Europeans had those sort of dodgy satellite dishes Setups where <laughs> you don't know what's legal and what's not. A lot of them kind sort of had that scenario where you could maybe catch a few games from Europe. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was uh, mostly how I came across it.
0: Hashtag relatable. Um, and Sunday, Sedia, I don't know about you, but that's all I watched growing up. Like that was just the best part of my my week because my Sundays were dedicated to like everything AC Milan was doing in Serie A back then. So uh, I don't know if you can relate to that, but that was me. Uh, big Benfica fan for you. Where did your love come from for the club? And have you been a fan of the club for a long time now?
1: Yeah, definitely for a very long time. I remember sort of some of my first memories of watching football with my dad was Euro 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember Nuno Gomes, this Portuguese player who had beautiful, long, flowing hair. Um, And just the goal that he scored against France and the way he celebrated. And I was like, whoa, who is this guy? Um, Like, this sport's pretty cool. These people are going crazy. Like, I want to check this out (laughs) more. And he... At the time, I think it was on his way to Fiorentina from Benfica, but he later came back to Benfica and he was sort of my gateway into Benfica. Um, and from there, I just got really into the club. I would try to go and watch as much as I could. My dad actually worked at like a satellite station, um, on Vancouver Island. And so. On the weekend, sometimes I go to work with them so I could watch Benfica, not even like checking on the internet if they're playing, just like a hope and a prayer that, hey, maybe they'll be playing today. And sometimes I was lucky. Um, So that's sort of how I followed along. But then, you know, as I got more into the internet, as I got older, I just like took in as much content as I could and really started to follow them much more closely.
0: The kids don't know these days, hey, how hard it was back then to to catch your favorite team or to. I don't know, find a way to watch the games on TV. Like it was just different back then. And I feel like the diehard fans of your club, like would know, and I can relate to a certain situation. Like when I was watching AC Milan growing up, I loved them for Kaka, Shevchenko and Crespo, like, and and a a lot of others, but those were just watching those three together. I was just, my eyes were always just widened, but there was one game. I think if I remember correctly, where Dita got hit by a flare and I think it hit his ear um, or something like that, or Came across him and I'm like, this only happens in football. Show me what other sport in the world where this happens. And, you know, they keep playing and it's just stuff like, obviously, you hope that everyone always maintains their safety and, you know, everyone's okay. But you just watch that on TV and you're like, holy shit, like, what am I watching? This is the best sport in the world. My husband just became one of the biggest football fans after watching that World Cup final. He's like, I don't think I've ever seen a game like this. And I said, My job here is done. I've officially converted you and welcome to the best sport in the world. So uh, yeah, I understand when you have that one player that kind of really brings you into the club and makes you obsessed with it. So it's pretty cool to hear that story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And even what you're saying about that World Cup final bringing in a lot more people, or at least people saying, like, wow, I never knew soccer could be so entertaining. You know, you get that comment all the time. I sort of had a similar thing when I was living in Montreal because I go to the Montreal Impact Games all the time. Yeah. Um, because it was so cheap back then to get a season ticket, even during university. I think it was like 200 bucks or something. So I could get a season ticket, then I could get deals for my friends, and I would take all my like hockey loving friends to these Montreal Impact Games, and they'd all be like, Oh my god. Yeah. I can't believe it. There's people just hitting drums the entire game and throwing blue flares all the time and like singing the whole game. Do they even watch? It was just like so outside of what their North American sports experience had shown them previously. I know. That even like I mean for anyone listening, I'm sure they know of the Habs, the Montreal Canadiens. They're known for having a pretty good atmosphere in their arena, and then going to even these impact games where people are singing the whole time, throwing streamers, like nonstop choreography. It just is. It's it's a mind blowing experience. So, if you can get that here, I, I really need to experience that in Europe or South America or something.
0: I appreciate you saying that about the MLS because. I think that there, I know there's this stigma around MLS here in North America and that it's nothing like the top leagues in Europe. And of course it's not. And I would do anything. I tweeted yesterday, I'm manifesting my opportunity to go watch a game at Old Trafford because I just can't imagine, you know, Sencito, Old Trafford and field that you got these big, big stadiums that are so iconic, but For people who have never experienced like an impact game, a Toronto FC game, you know, Atlanta has some crazy fans, Um, you know, LA is growing, Miami, all of these, these teams here in MLS, they do a very, very good job of creating an atmosphere where a casual fan or someone who has no no idea about anything in, in, in the sport can go and have a good time. And I think that that's what Toronto really started doing. Like Toronto... FC game started to become the best sporting event to go to in Toronto in the summertime, especially because it was a good time. And I'm, I'm appreciative of you saying that because I'm a little protective of MLS. I think it has a a long way to go, but I think it's on the right track, especially maybe hopefully you start seeing Messi come into the, the picture and Ronaldo one day, people are going to be forced to watch MLS and, and appreciate it a little bit more, but it is a good time. And I think that it does it serves its purpose. And I just hope that it starts to get a little bit more respect because I I do think it's a league with a lot of potential and hopefully it's heading in the right direction.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even just through some of the players that you see leaving MLS to go play Mm -hmm. across in Europe or what have you, it's growing from that perspective. But I mean, I've, I have been to a couple of games in Europe. I went to an Arsenal match. I went to a PSG match and I can absolutely say that the experiences I had in Seattle, watching the Sounders and sort of that fan experience was insane. And ha- in Montreal as well, which is always really fun at Saputo Stadium. They stack up so well against these European experiences I had, wow. especially Arsenal, which I understand because there you get a lot of tourists. So you don't have as much of the sort of diehard support that will be singing the entire time. Um, and it's also different because they have different laws to, in the stadium because of hooliganism back in the day. but. PSG and and Montreal Impact. I found that the style of support there was so similar. It's just that obviously the Parc des Princes is a much bigger stadium, so it has that cauldron atmosphere. But yeah, the the fan experience for going to an MLS game to sort of keep <laughs> piling on all of these nice things about MLS is incredible. Especially, I think some cities probably do it better than most, as that's the case in any country or what have you. But yeah. it's definitely worth it.
0: Uh, If MLS wants to sponsor Adrian and I, by all means, we'd love to be we'd love to be the poster kids of your campaign. Okay, Um, PSG game. Did you go to a PSG game with Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe on the
1: team? I did. I did. Wow! But uh, I had my heart broken on the way there because Mbappe were playing. No, they were. They were. Okay, two of the three. So Mbappe was out. So I was like, okay, still have Neymar and Messi. Very yeah. excited about this. Plus, they were playing against Lille. So it was against Jonathan David. Saw Jonathan David score. Yep. So that was a really cool experience. But Mbappe was injured. And then Messi was just coming back from the international break. And he went off at halftime because uh, he essentially was just like walking around the pitch, like very clearly playing with an injury. Probably shouldn't have even played. But I at least appreciated seeing him ping a couple of passes around. You know, I didn't see any slaloms or free kicks or anything. But, you know, it's still cool to
0: see. That's enough for me, you know, as long as you get to see them in the flesh, I think that's a, a nice check off of a bucket list for anyone. I think that's so cool that you got to do that uh, for you when you saw Benfica and Porto top the group, their groups in the Champions League. Were you surprised?
1: Um, I was surprised in a sense. I was definitely surprised about Benfica. Because I, I knew really? that it would be, be, well, I was surprised because I knew that it would be difficult to get ahead of Juventus. I knew that Juventus was sort of having a weird time. Um, but I thought that if we had a chance, we'd go through in second behind PSG because at the beginning of the season, PSG were playing insanely well and they looked very dangerous under Galcier. So yes. I was, cool. I was like, I think we'll get through probably in second, but then Porto, I thought they would maybe get second. Um, but the way that they turned around their campaign and their group, I don't want to give them too much praise, you know, rivals, <laughs> but, uh, but the, no, the way that they turned that around, I think they lost their opening two matches and then won the final four, um, getting plenty of clean sheets along the way. So that was really, really impressive from them. Benfica. I mean, we've gotten used to this at this point. No, I, I don't want to get too cocky. It's, but it's been a great season. It was, it was another feat after finishing behind Bayern last season, but ahead of Barcelona. So it felt like another two seasons in a row that we sort of upset one of the big boys.
0: I I know you're a Benfica fan, but I was happy for Porto because they have a Estacchio and he scored a couple of those champions league goals uh, right before the world cup. And I was just happy for him because I'm like, okay, now he's going to go into the world cup in some pretty good form. Uh, So I was happy to see them do that. And unfortunately they, they just lost to inter red card. What can you do? But Benfica right before the world cup, I think that they were one of two teams. I believe it was them and PSG who'd been undefeated in Europe's top five leagues. Like this is, or top six leagues. This is a team that I think that when people were looking and and I will include Porto in this conversation, because these are two Portuguese teams that I think people didn't expect to do so well. And here they are topping the group, surprising people. Benfica went on this really good run again in Europe. What I loved to see this so much because I'm like, finally, these German teams doing really well, because unfortunately, there's this narrative that, you know, the Bundesliga is a quote unquote farmers league. You see these Portuguese teams doing really well. It puts the respect on the domestic leagues and how maybe outside of the Premier League, outside of La Liga, we should be tuning into other leagues to appreciate what these teams are doing and the football that's being played. Why should people be watching the Portuguese league? And why should people be tuning into teams like Benfica?
1: I think that watching the Portuguese League, you're going to see the stars of the future, really. There's so many that have come out of just Porto, Sporting, and Benfica alone. Benfica especially has sort of become known (laughs) in this last decade as far as like selling off talent to the top leagues around the world. Previously, it was Porto who's doing that all the time. Sporting comes up with a big player now and then as well. So I think that as far as developing talent... The Portuguese league is one of the best in the world at this moment because they really focus on the academies because it's not a very wealthy country nor a very wealthy league. They can't really rely on the transfer window. They have to be really smart in the transfer window like what Benfica did with Enzo Fernandez, buying him mm-hmm. for about, I think, 17 million euros all in and then selling him off for 120. So you get that as well. And um, the, the recent success has been good because porto like i was saying they don't feel like they're at the peak of their powers but they're always incredibly competitive always 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 and even in the last couple of years where prior sporting was sort of had sort of fallen off a little bit they're really struggling to do anything both domestically and in europe they've gotten a lot better lately under ruben amarin a good young manager to sort of revolutionize them a little bit bring them a league title they hadn't had for a while and then in benfica's case There is a... I don't know how deep we want to get into this, but...
0: Go as deep as you want.
1: Okay. So there was a previous president who was very highly criticized at Benfica because it felt like he was focusing more on just what Benfica had become known for recently, which is developing talent and then selling it at a profit. But he would do so in a way that would often sort of screw over the head coach or the manager at the time because he would sell that number one player and then not really spend the money to bring in someone else. That guy is gone. There was a lot of corruption charges, you know, money laundering, etc, 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 with him that he was sort of found guilty of. So the club got rid of him. And a former AC Milan player, Manuel Rui Costa, is elected as the president of Benfica. And at first, there was a little bit of, you know, do we trust this guy? You know, we have a lot of uh, trauma from the previous president. But since he's been elected, we've seen so much more... Positive changes. One in Benfica finally getting clever with their scouting again, going to South America, making good signings. Now we're starting to sign players out of places like Denmark and other untapped markets that go overlooked by a lot of the big clubs. Um, So you have that. And then you also have sort of this commitment to bring in a fresh change, you know, not just look at all of these sort of recycled Portuguese managers over and over again that don't really bring you any new ideas. We're going to go after someone like Roger Schmidt a German manager who's you know gone through the Red Bull program. He has this high tempo, different style of football that's not necessarily associated with anything in Portugal. Um, and he comes in and you couple that with smart recruitment. You couple mm-hmm. that with a president who isn't focusing on selling players, who says, you know, we don't need to sell players anymore. We can keep players so that we can have a good run, both domestically and in the Champions League. And it's just been this perfect storm of good recruitment, Great coaching, a new style of football, newer style of football in Portugal, not as common, and uh, even in the Champions League, it's 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 been working really well for us as well. So it's it's I don't know, it's uh, I haven't seen this in a while, Caroline. I've honestly I'm a little bit uh, shocked to see it because we're so used to Benfica always failing at the last step, struggling, etc. I think it's been three years without a trophy, but it's looking good so far this season. I, I don't want to, you know, jinx anything. Yeah,
0: I get it. Don't worry. It could be worse. It could be 11 years without uh without a trophy. So three years, you know what I mean? It, it yeah. always could be worse, but it's interesting you say that because one of the topics I wanted to talk about is that Benfica is like this breeding ground of talent. So it's very interesting to hear you say, you know, the recruitment process and how they spend their time and resources and developing these talents. And I think that that maybe not, that might not be talked enough about and maybe it will now because of the success of Benfica. But what I find super interesting is that there's consistency right now in the Portuguese League and in the Champions League. And this is at a time where also I'm sure a lot of Benfica fans had a heart attack when Enzo Fernandes had a great World Cup and then was no longer at Benfica. You know, like it, as a Benfica fan, when things like that happen, does your heart sink? And then are you also surprised that you're still... Fine when these big talents, these big names leave to Chelsea. Uh, and probably, I'm assuming if I'm Enzo, I'm also like, what the hell? I may have been able to win a Champions League with Benfica and now I'm <laughs> in a club that's kind of a little bit of a disaster. I mean, it's kind, maybe a whirlwind for you guys, but maybe also calming. Like, talk to me. What's that like?
1: Yeah. So it's the Enzo one is a separate thing in a sense. But as far as having great talent, and then feeling like you're losing it too early. We're very much used to that. I mean, yeah, for Juan Felix in particular, who's at Chelsea now also, funnily enough, um, he was a player that he came out of our academy and he was getting some opportunities in that first breakout season that he had. But he only started to get opportunities... Frequently, regularly, I should say, as of January of that season when Bruno Lage came in. And then all of a sudden, Joan Felix was like a starter all the time for Benfica. Mm-hmm. So we only really got January through May of João Felix at Benfica. And then he was gone for 120 million. Same thing with Enzo Fernandez. We sign him in July, he's gone by January. You know, we sign him for 17, sell for 120 million. So we're sort of used to that. Darwin Nunez stuck around for two seasons. If we get two seasons out of a talent, at the at the top level, because we also have a lot of guys coming through the academy, like Ruben Diaz, who's now at Manchester City, and other players. Um, so if we get two seasons out of someone at the top level, that's sort of. Come to be the expectation that that's all we can sort of get used to, unfortunately. Even a guy like Renato Sanchez, who went from Benfica to Bayern, he's now at PSG and injured all the time, unfortunately. But these guys typically, it's like one season and then they're gone. So we're used to it. But what sort of differed with Angel Fernandez, just to get into that really quickly, was that we were told we don't need to sell anyone. We don't need to sell anyone. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If they want to buy him, they have to hit the release clause, 120 million or nothing. And so we were all very confident that Enzo Fernandez is staying. He tried to force a move and then he just, you know, he accepted his punishment he had to take a (laughs) suspension for one game. And then he played great in the rest of January until transfer deadline day, where Rui Costa said that even as of 10 hours before the window closing, I was confident that Enzo Fernandez was going to stay, but he forced a move and I think Carolina might've got a little bit ugly behind the scenes or, you know, broken promises type thing. Cause there's a few Benfica players that unfollowed him on Instagram. You know, let's read into the uh, social media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it might've got a little bit ugly behind the scenes, but that one felt a little bit more like a a major letdown because we're doing so well. He's at the heart of it. um, As far as our midfield and that dynamic he has with Florentino in the midfield is just like, perfect. Um, we're on this crazy run. He seemed like he was going to stay. Our president said, we don't need to sell anyone. And then he sold like an hour before the window closes. We don't bring anyone else in. It's unfortunate, but I think we've all sort of accepted and even moved on to it at this point, because we've had players come in that have done a serviceable job. Obviously, you know, replacing world-class talent like Enzo Fernandez is going to be incredibly difficult. They've done a serviceable job. We're still getting positive results. So, so far, so good. I'm sure we'll buy someone else in the, in the summer. That someone else will come and buy for 200 million (laughs) and after a couple months or so.
0: (laughs) Listen, you guys keep doing what you're doing as long as it works for you. Are Benfica fans mad at Enzo Fernandez?
1: I think that a lot of people are really upset with him just because right after the world cup, um, there was a lot of interest from Liverpool and Chelsea and between Christmas and New Year's Eve, there was a game that Benfica had and Angel Fernandez played terribly. Apparently, he was telling the club that he wants to go to Chelsea, blah, 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 blah. Following that game, which was our first loss of the season, he flies back to Argentina for New Year's without the club's consent. um, And that led to the suspension. And then him saying he'll stay. There is a shot of him scoring a goal in January, smacking the badge, doing these, smacking the badge, kissing it. Like, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. And then he forces the move at the end of January. So a lot of people are Shit. quite annoyed with him. Um, but also like fool us once shame on us kind of thing because yeah. <laughs> to, to change it, because when he arrived at Benfica, one of the first things he said getting off the plane in the airport in lisbon was i'm really looking forward to this opportunity benfica can be a great springboard for the rest of europe which is like okay dude we know what you're doing <laughs> like you could have at least <sighs> fake it you know
0: <laughs> I, I hate to hear about like um, drama between players and, and maybe management, but I, I love the little bit of spice that sometimes we get about players unfollowing each other. Cause I'm like, you can read between the lines. It's kind of with all the Mbappe drama at PSG too. Like I kind of love that little added spice in football sometimes, but I got to imagine that, you know, business has no feelings and Enzo's going to do what is best for Enzo. But I wonder now in hindsight, if he's like, dude, did I make the right decision? I want. I wish I was a fly on a wall.
1: I know me as well because I think I think that Ruicasha he did like a huge interview after the sale of Enzo Fernandez just because there was so much frustration and sort of a feeling of like you told us one thing and then you just ended up selling him in the end. Like, what's going on? One of the things that he said was that Enzo would not budge. It was Chelsea now. It had to be now. Benfica even offered like, you can go at the end of the season, they will loan you back to us and you will get the same amount of money as you would have if, if you had gone to Chelsea. So they offered the same pay as Chelsea and everything, which is crazy. And he still said no. So it's just like, uh, all right, <laughs> what can you do at that point? Right?
0: Oh, damn. Damn. Well, I'm sorry. But sometimes Thank these you. things happen for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is Zhao Félix overrated?
1: Um, he is definitely struggling with his finishing right now. Um, I think that the move to Atletico Madrid was a boneheaded move and he, it never should have happened. He just does not fit Simeone's tactics. He does not fit that mm-hmm. style of play. You can see that, while well, yeah, yes, Chelsea cannot score goals right now. It, they're failing at that often and often and often. Um, they're looking good in the build-up and part of that is... Rob Felix. And I think that he's shown just how silky and smooth he can be on the ball. Is he lacking in his finishing in this moment? Yes. But once he finds his form, as we saw at Benfica, I mean, he made a guy like Harris Afanovich look amazing. But what we saw at Benfica was a lethal attacker. Um, Absolutely lethal. He could finish with both feet. But right now it's just that final, that final ball or that finish that isn't quite working. But I'm sort of loathe to judge him right now just because nobody scoring at Chelsea like Chelsea in general are just really, 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 really struggling. And I think that his overall play has been pretty good.
0: I know it's a sensitive subject for Benfica fans because you guys saw him in his best. So I, I always like to ask that question to anyone who's a Benfica fan. But then on the flip side, when you watched him play for Portugal at the World Cup, do you think that he was at the level he should be? Or do you think that this is a player with such hype around him and even for the price tag at times should be performing at a higher level?
1: I think that the price tag is ridiculous. Like (laughs) no player should be worth that, honestly. Um, And a lot of it sort of has to do with the super agent George Mendez and how he drives up those prices somehow for Benfica all the time, which is nice, but he takes a huge chunk also. Um, so I think <laughs> that the price tag is just ridiculous and it does Felix absolutely no favors at all. Um, yeah, he was definitely overvalued. Absolutely. Um, the way he played at the World Cup wasn't superb. Portugal in general were not superb either, but he definitely could have mm-hmm. done better. I think that if you were to put a number I think he's more of like an 80 to 90 million player. Um, We'll see what Chelsea, if they end up making that sale or that purchase final, what number they sort of land on. But I, I, fully, fully understand people's criticisms of him because they see this kid go from Benfica to Atletico Madrid to not really do much. They paid 124 million for mm-hmm. him. It's just like all these things do not add up. The deal does not add up. But I think from what we've seen at Benfica and little bits we've seen at Chelsea, there's absolutely a player in there. It's just finding that right number. Uh, I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's good because you know what? I'm not a hater. I actually, every time I watch Portugal play or now Chelsea, mm-hmm. I didn't watch I, I didn't watch Benfica back in the day when he. He was there i'm always like i want to see him succeed because i want to see what the hardcore benfica fans are talking about but there are just yeah. times where i'm like he should have taken care of that ball a little bit better or that pass should have been better um and maybe that's just because i'm looking at him now with this microscope and again I, i'm always paying attention to him but i'm just like i really want to see this breakout moment from him where i'm like okay i get it and i just Haven't seen that. So I always like to ask these questions, but I'm not hating on him. I I really want to see him succeed. I just, I, I have yet to really see him. I think maybe even reach his highest potential outside of Benfica from what you saw there.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. He definitely hasn't been able to hit. I think what it was at Benfica was the consistency Um, Mm -hmm. because he's still doing all of the same things. It's just he's not scoring as much as he used to. Um, And part of that is playing at teams that you know, don't score a ton of goals in Atletico Madrid and now Chelsea. Uh, you sort of wonder, like, what would Joao Felix look like if he was playing under Guardiola in that system or something like that? You know, if he was playing in some sort of other system, we'll have, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Chelsea because there's a lot of good talent there, but they're just like yeah. not on the same page yet. But,, yeah, he just needs to get that consistency back in his finishing, or maybe he just overperformed that season, and he he tricked us all. I don't know, but um, <laughs> if he finds, <laughs> yeah if he finds that consistency, then we'll talk, then we'll talk.
0: I uh, Nunez, you mentioned Nunez right now, mm-hmm. you know, What's going on in Liverpool just kills me. My dad's the biggest Liverpool fan. So I know my dad's listening to this. I always say it when he's listening. You never walk alone. Slightly this season, you might be. But Nunes recently made a statement saying that in the first season of Benfica, he was terrible. And then the second season, he exploded. Is this something that you anticipate happening with him at liverpool where he you know is constantly having this comparison to erling holland and just maybe at times isn't finishing enough of his chances where a lot of people are saying for his price tag which i believe was liverpool's biggest amount of money that they've spent on a transfer he should be delivering more or is this some is this a player that you've seen at benfica that just needs a little bit more time to adjust
1: He's absolutely one of those confidence players. And I know that, you know, every player is a confidence player, right? But some are affected by it more than others. You know, Darwin Nunez looks absolutely goofy when he's low on confidence because his, he has such a sort of haphazard, chaotic sort of approach where he's all over the place. He's all physicality. He's, it's like his, his body is going faster than the ball. You know, that kind of
0: yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it's so when he finds that confidence, he improves greatly. And that's what he had in his second season. And and when I had a lot of Liverpool supporters ask me about him and what to expect from him, I said exactly that. He's very raw. He's very unrefined when it comes to his touch and sometimes his finishing. He managed to score a ton of goals in his second season at Benfica once he was settled, once he was confident. Um But he's going to be a second season signing. My guess was he would get between 10 and 15 goals. I think it's looking like he'll get more than that. Mm -hmm. But it's another one of those cases where the circumstances haven't really helped him, you know, coming from Portugal to Liverpool. Big culture change. He didn't speak English prior to arriving there, so he's still <laughs> yeah. learning that. It's he was going through Luis Diaz, I think, to like translate for him or something yep. like that. Um, and then you have, you know, he gets that he starts well for them, but he gets that red card early. Then he's suspended for a yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. getting a lot of stick. He's getting a lot of pressure from supporters and rival fans. He comes back, he gets an injury. So it has been sort of stop start, but all the while, I think he's contributed with either a goal or an assist along the way. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been, you know, the optics of it are bad because of his playing style and the fact that he has a few howlers now and then. And then you couple in how Erling Holland is just going insane with the goals. So there's that direct comparison plus the price tag. It's easy to look at him and think, wow, what a flop. But I think that when you look at the context, give him a little bit of time because give him a chance to play under a Liverpool team. That's really flying because he's not going to be the one with his confidence issues. Who's going to lift an entire team. He rises with them.
0: I love to hear you say that my dad's a big fan of Nunes, So am I, again, this is another guy that I really want to see succeed, but my dad is a fan who's like patient with the mm-hmm. process. And, and I think he realizes everything that you just said. He's like, you know, Nunes just needs a little bit more time. And he actually says he's a, Big Mo Salah fan, but he's more disappointed with what Salah has been doing this season and how he hasn't been finishing chances that with his experience and him being at Liverpool for so many years that he should be capitalizing on where Nunes deserves to have a little bit of cushion of room. And I I think it's easy, like you said, to look at a price tag and be like, OK, well, you know, he needs to deliver immediately. But I think you raise a very, very good point in terms of culture that Quote unquote culture shock where he came from Portugal and now he's in England and he doesn't even speak a a little bit of English because there was that quote. He said that he doesn't understand what Klopp is saying half the time. And I can't imagine how hard that must be as a footballer. You know, if you're watching film, if you're watching tape, if you're receiving feedback or criticism or even praise, you have no idea what's going on. And that's got to give some type of anxiety or pressure or stress or maybe even feeling like. Ah, uh, he probably knows he belongs there but like what the hell am I doing here because I don't know what's going on. And so maybe he just needs a little bit more time. I like that you kind of gave him that grace because I think that he's shown in moments like even in this most recent game against Real Madrid he scored that really nice uh, back heel goal, but it needs to be a little bit more consistent. So I'm interested in seeing what season number 2 looks like for him based on your analysis of confidence for him and and how he needs that to kind of thrive. So it's been. I think that you put it perfectly.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, especially because you know, assuming that Liverpool get some funding that they need to help out in the midfield yeah. and in defense, I think they need signings at centre back as well because Joe Gomez, unfortunately, is he can't really be trusted, you know. So <laughs> I think um, I think that once. If things start to change on that front, they get you know more reinforcements in midfield, they get all the players back because Jota's been out or is was mm-hmm. out, he's yep. back now. Luis Diaz still isn't even back, he's been out for a long time. Those are big players that they've been missing. Um, I, I want to see him in a settled team with a because it feels like at this point Liverpool's just sort of like you know scrap season at this point, let's look ahead to next season, uh, kind of, yeah. Um, so because Klopp has a knack for developing attackers. And I think that, you know, Darwin has those sort of raw attributes that he would really like, and he could thrive under him.
0: Love it. Okay. Question. As someone who's been, I'm assuming a Portuguese fan for life and has seen a Portuguese team coached by Fernando Santos to a Polish football fan who's watched (laughs) a lot of teams for Poland go into a tournament and just be... I don't hold them to the highest standard. I hold them to a realistic standard and I'm still disappointed is Fernando Santos, the guy to, to go into a team like Poland, which I'm sure you watch them play at the world cup and f- fix, or at least help them get to an improved level. Please dear God, give me some type of, <laughs> give me some type of relief because I wasn't uh, understanding this situation, but you're a Portuguese fan. You've seen Fernando Santos in his work more than I have. So talk to me. Ah,
1: so there's two ways of looking at it. Because on the one hand, I would say, just from a Portuguese perspective, I would say no, he's not the guy <laughs> yeah. because he was so underwhelming with Portugal <laughs> at times. Like you know, granted he won Euro 2016. We'll give him that. But I think that that's what you could look to as a Polish supporter, as sort of hope for your club or your team, I should say at this point, Um, because that was a Portugal that was not the same Portugal that we have today, where there's a ton of young talent, really good attackers that you should be playing a more attractive, expansive brand of football with this Portuguese side. That was always the feeling that like he was holding them back in a sense that his tactics were too negative and weren't really befitting of this young attacking team. But... Mm -hmm. Compare that to what he had at Euro 2016 and his tactics worked. They weren't pretty by any means. They were very ugly, but they worked because he was sort of playing well with the hand he was dealt. So if you're a Polish supporter and, you know, I think it's fair to say that Poland isn't the most gifted nation in the world when it comes to actual, you know, top, top, top talent that's playing for the best teams in the world. Lewandowski, of course, and amongst others, but for the most part, I think that Fernando Santos can really organize the team well. He can take what tools he's given with Poland. And I think that he can at least make you very competitive so that you won't lose games. Because that's what Fernando Santos has a specialty in. You might not win all the time. You might not play beautifully, but you probably won't lose. You'll either draw, get a 1-0 win or something like that. So it could be a match made in heaven or... Lightning mm. just was just caught in a bottle for Portugal, and it's not going to get caught in that same bottle for Poland.
0: <sighs> well, time will tell, and I appreciate you trying to spin that into a positive because we <laughs> were talking to uh, to ESPN's Janusz Michalik as well, and he he's Polish, and mm-hmm. he. he gave me a little bit of relief in the sense that he said that Fernando Santos is a guy who's also coached some of the top talent in the world and he's managed some of the top talent and he's been in places uh, that have gained him experience and respect. And he'll bring that to this Polish team that probably could utilize that. Now, is it going to necessarily work out in our favor? That's exactly what we're going to see. But um <laughs> I'm gonna try and be hopeful. I'm gonna be trying, I'm gonna do my best, but I maybe we'll we'll just talk. Hopefully we qualify for the euro and hopefully we'll talk after the euro. Uh you and I, Adrian, and we'll dissect Fernando Santos at Poland. But I appreciate the little sense of comfort. So thank you.
1: (laughs) No problem. No problem. He ultimately no, I was just gonna say ultimately. Really good memories. He's a great guy. It was just, it wasn't a fit anymore. The team had progressed to a point where they didn't need to play in the way that he wanted them to very negatively. Um, and so he, he had to move on. Was Roberto Martinez the right guy? I don't know, but <laughs> that's another question. Right?
0: I know. Do you, wait, do you think that he should have benched Ronaldo in that game at the World Cup against, not bench, but not started Ronaldo against Morocco?
1: I was okay with it. I, um, yeah. Hey, I was okay with it because he Ronaldo hadn't been performing for a really, really, really long time. And there was just other players. I'm very much, which is why I like what Roger Schmidt's doing at Benfica. I'm very much a play the form players kind of guy. And with the slight sort of loss of pace with Ronaldo, all of these things that elevated him to a point where Mm. he was just beyond everyone else. He was this freak of nature. He was this physical behemoth essentially. And that gave him the edge over everyone else. When you take some of those qualities away slightly and you also take his form away and what kind of headspace he was in due to what was happening with his family and what was happening with Manchester United and his exit and how we now know he wasn't finding or able to get many clubs interest in Europe. It did make sense. And Gonzalo Ramos sort of justified that um, that choice in the prior match. Um, it's unfortunate that that's how it ended for Ronaldo probably at the World Cup. But I, I was okay with that that decision by Fernando Santos.
0: Okay. Awesome. And last question for you. Who's your prediction for the next big player to come out of Benfica to be sold to Chelsea? Mm -hmm. Kidding, 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 (laughs) kidding, kidding. kidding.
1: I've I've made that same joke as well. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know if it's who do too you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you want next? You know, we we just signed someone from Denmark. He's only 18. Maybe two years, 200 million. Let's call it now. Oh, uh, no, you guys, I, I
0: feel so bad for you guys because you probably can never buy a a jersey or a shirt or a kit with someone's last name on it because it's like probably borrowed time.
1: Yeah, it's, it's don't get don't get too close with anybody. You're just you don't gonna get too hurt attached. yourself. Yeah, you guys have
0: trust issues. You guys are the epitome of like, yeah, don't get attached. Go in with your guards up. So this is a toxic relationship, if you think about it.
1: It's it sucks. That you know what? (laughs) You're sort of making me realize something that maybe that's the reason why I never get names on kits. I've never (laughs) been a name on kits guy. That could be why you could be revealing that to me. But yeah, as far as someone who I would definitely not get their name on the back of the of the kit right now because they'll probably be gone in the not so distant future. It's uh, it's got to be Antonio Silva. Um, okay. He is our center back who started the season. He was 18 years old going up against Juventus and PSG. He turned 19 in the fall or something like that, but he showed absolutely no fear. He pocketed Mbappe and Neymar at the Estadio Deluge in Lisbon. He went away to PSG, did just as well. You know, we were able to hold PSG to 1 1 draws on both occasions. Against Juventus, same thing. Full of confidence, dominant in all the duels, doing really well next to Nicolas Otamendi. They've formed an unbelievable partnership. And sort of the trust that Otamendi has in this young kid to read the game well. He knows when to go forward and when to stay back. He's a decent passer. So I think that just the maturity that he's shown at such a young age, he's one that a lot of teams will be looking at. Um, I think that... Hopefully Rui Koshta will be able to convince him to stay for one more season. Don't leave at the end of the season. Stay one more season. And let's, you know, like let's make extra sure that this level that you're playing at now is your level. And you're not just sort of Playing below and going away will actually hold you back in your career. If you go somewhere and it's a failed move, whereas you could stay here, develop a little bit more. The other one I would point to is probably Florentino, who is actually the partner to Edzo, yeah. who I mentioned earlier. Really, really good defensive midfielder, which I feel like is really valuable in Europe right now. When you think of like, oh, who's these sort of like tough as nails guys who are going to break up play and you know put in hard tackles and really be dominant in the midfield, it feels like there's less of those now than there used to be when we were watching through like, you know, I don't know, like the Vanger versus Sir Alex Ferguson era. You yeah, think of like yeah. Vieira and, and Keen and stuff like that. Uh, McAlealy at Chelsea, all these sorts oh of guys. God, yeah. Throwback. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that he's one of those players that I don't think he's going to get like a hundred million or something like that. But um, he's a player that I think a lot of teams will be looking at. And then sort of a, a bonus one would be, Grimaldo, Benfica's left back simply because... So your whole
0: starting 11. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean this is what we're used to but I say Grimaldo because he is uh, hes out of contract in June and so far he hasn't signed a new contract so I'm going to assume that he's gone. Unless something miraculous happens this spring, it'll be a you know a lovely Easter surprise if he, he signs up or something. I don't know but it's it's looking like he's probably leaving to Juventus or something like that as well.
0: But hey, maybe if Benfica continues their solid run in the Champions League, maybe these players want to stay. That's
1: that's the hope, Caroline. Is that yeah. you know you keep Roger Schmidt, you keep all these players together, you get a deep run in the Champions League, and you mm-hmm. get them to think, okay, let's let's run it again. Let's let's uh, yeah. win what we had lost last season. Essentially, um, that's the hope, and that's why we're all very hopeful with this new president, in that he said like we're going to focus on. Boarding goals rather than these financial goals that we seemingly had in the past. So, again, fingers crossed that some of them stick around and we can build something under Roger Schmidt.
0: Do you think right now Benfica could win the Champions League?
1: depends on... I mean, there's so much... So much depends on the draw, right? If we get drawn against the German side, you can basically put us down as lost For some reason, both at the national and club level, Portuguese teams just fail against German That's side. That's the
0: trauma. That's the trauma <laughs> talking.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So up against <laughs> the German side, I think we'll lose. Uh, up against Napoli, I think we'll lose. Real Madrid... I mean, I I don't know what to say about Real Madrid anymore. It just seems like they win no matter what. Yeah, different. There's levels. They're different,
0: man. They're different. Um, (laughs) I don't know what Ancelotti says to these guys before a Champions League game, but whatever it is, they hit. Different, like Big it tells time. me what they do. Big but my time. goodness, you got, you gotta, I feel for you because I know what it's like to, ha- to be a fan and, and like have trauma and almost assume the worst and then like experience the best. But I think yeah. like I, Napoli is a contender for me. You know, yeah. I think Benfica could, I think Benfica could surprise even you guys, like even the fans. I, I don't know. I just think that there may be this sleeper team um, yeah. that can put together a performance. And I'm not saying take down a Real Madrid, but maybe give them a hard time.
1: I think so. And even like last season, when we were much worse, we gave Liverpool a pretty good game. We beat Ajax. You know, we finished second in a group with Bayern and, and Barcelona. We finished ahead of Barcelona. This season, we've also been really good in Europe so far. So I think that we can, you know, if we get a kind draw of some sort, we can maybe get to the semis. Um, And anything other than that would just be a great bonus. But yeah, I think I agree with some people who say that Benfica could be one of the dark horse kind of picks just with the way that we play very defensively solid and good in the attack. I I could see us as being one of those dark horse teams and hopefully, you know, knock on wood, I haven't uh, jinxed us.
0: No, you you definitely haven't. Listen, we appreciate your time here on Kicked Back, presented by Betway. Uh, Adrian, for everyone listening, please tell them where they can find you on all your social media platforms.
1: So the main one, the pretty much the one and only, is YouTube. So just go on YouTube and type in Robona TV or YouTube.com slash Robona TV. That's where you'll find my YouTube channel. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that. Twitter, I'm like kind of active on Twitter. We're old, Uh, hey? Us
0: old people, man. Sometimes on Twitter, I'm like, Oh, I haven't tweeted in like 16 years. I got to put something random out there and I I never check it afterwards. Yeah.
1: The amount of times I think of a tweet and then I'm just like... What's the point? <laughs>
0: I, know, <laughs> like, uh... I, I totally. There is. It's so funny. There was one time. I this is this is literally my brain. I was watching Inter versus AC Milan, and I, I believe we were winning. This was before the World Cup. Yeah. And I tweeted. There's no other team I dislike more than Inter. And I put my phone away for the rest of the day. It was a weekend, and I'm like, I didn't think anything of it. I go back on, and I'm like, this tweet had like ten thousand likes, and people from Italy were like angry at me, and I got all of these like AC Milan followers, but like all this Inter my like Inter Milan, people being like, who are you? And who cares what you have to say? And I'm like, this, <laughs> this blew my mind. Because I'm like, again, I don't think of Twitter as something like to be too active on, which I probably should be a little bit more. But I'm like, the reach that that one tweet had, I'd never experienced something like that in my life. It was just football fans are crazy. They yeah. are crazy in the best way.
1: They are, and and that kind of thing, I just don't want to happen. Like I don't want to invite like a bunch of people to start getting in my mentions. So that's why I have this weird.
0: You don't want death threats from Italy? Why not?
1: No, no, not from not Italian death threats. No, I don't want to (laughs) deal with those. (laughs) But no, yeah. If if people do want to follow a uh, semi-active account on Twitter, then I'm your guy. You know, Rabona underscore TV is uh, is your guy on Twitter.
0: And you're on you're on Instagram too, no?
1: Yeah, but I, uh, that's like even more dusty than my Twitter account. Oh, that's oh. like a, uh, I post once every six months kind of thing on there. Oh, every good. once in a while we'll throw up a story, you know, we'll do a little story now and then. <laughs> but uh, aside from promoting other friends' stuff, uh, it's not probably not worth your follow. But hey, if you want to Rabona.tv. let's throw it out there. Let's see what happens on Instagram. I love it. <laughs>
0: Adrian, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time and you telling everyone about your channel and how you built it. And then of course, all the Benfica knowledge. Uh, I'm just going to put it out there right now. If it's either a flop or a complete miraculous Cinderella story for Poland with Fernando Santos, I'm having you back on the show and we're going to dissect everything. And then if Benfica has an unbelievable run, potentially wins a Champions League title, we got to get you back on here and get your thoughts on everything.
1: Deal. I'm in. Thank you for oh, having me, Caroline. This was oh, my fun. goodness.
0: Thank you. Thank you. You're the best.
1: No, you. Thank you.